Hello, button mashers and key clackers. My name is Evan, and I am all alone this week. Uh, Jordan and I have had some trouble getting together, but I didn't want to leave you guys podcast list. I want to uh, make sure we're there every Monday morning with a new podcast for you. If you want to drive on to work listening to our voices, if you want to just work around the house or whatever you do on your Monday mornings, we wanted to be there for you. So I'm going to do a short little podcast all alone. I'm going to talk about some of my closing thoughts on E3, and I'm going to do a little mini review of a game that I've played and finished called Cadence of Hyrule. Cadence of Hyrule is a journey into the world of Hyrule through the lens of a small indie game called Curse of the Necrodancer. And Curse of the Necrodancer was unique in the way that you function and control uh, through music. So you go into these dungeons in Curse of the Necrodancer, and you can only move to the beat of the music. And you have a small uh, beat meter at the bottom to let you know when you can jump. So it's like left, 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 anytime the beat hits. And if you are off beat, you don't move. So you open yourself up for attack and you drop your combo, which is important since it was a roguelike and having a higher combo meant that you could get more progression items, become stronger as you went on. And yeah, you just moved around and to attack enemies in the most base form, you kind of just bump into them. And when you bump into them and it's not when they're moving into the space, you do an attack. And some enemies take multiple attacks, so you kind of have to do this little dance with the enemies and it feels good when everything is working together. Uh, so this jump from this small indie game to being able to handle one of Nintendo's biggest IPs is definitely a big jump and I want to see Nintendo continue to do more stuff like this. Like Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle. That game was such a great mashup of Mario and Rabbids in this amazing XCOM style game that really left its own stamp on it. It didn't just make something that was XCOM again. It made that tactic-style game, but it made it so moving and movement was a priority, and it, it, it felt really good to just move halfway across the map in one move because it's so different and drastically uh, a drastic departure from what games like XCOM are. And this is giving another developer uh, hand control of a Nintendo IP, and I think it accomplishes some things, and I think it falls short in others. Um, I really wanted this to be more of a Zelda game than it was. This is a randomly generated Hyrule. It's handcrafted tiles, but it's all put together in a random order. So one person is not going to play it the same as another person. And in this Hyrule, you function with the music much like you do in Curse of the Necrodancer. And that's really one of the high points is the music. And hearing these amazing Zelda songs that you kind of know in your core. Just from having so long with them and being with them for as long as we have and growing up with them. You, you know these songs. My wife was watching me play and she was like, I love this song. And it's completely different, it's completely changed, but it, it keeps its core, and the music in this game really, really drives home what this game is trying to do. I just wish the stuff around the music was kind of 
tightened up and shored up. I wish this game had gotten rid of its random generization. So when you start a game, all of Hyrule is randomly put together. I believe the tiles are the same just from looking at guides and help for uh, a place that I got stuck on. But the tiles are put together randomly. So you're going to find items that other people aren't going to find in the places that other people aren't going to find them. And that's where one of the core problems comes about, because when you are not finding the items in the proper order, it really throws off the puzzle element of the game, because it's no longer about puzzles that you're solving with these items. These items are just weapons. And there's a, there's a few environmental puzzles that you get to use the hookshot, but I rarely use these items as weapons. I rarely use them outside of the one time trying them. Because this game really didn't demand it. It's not the most difficult game. It's not incredibly hard. I found a permanent weapon upgrade uh, called the Broadsword, which lets you attack in a three-tile width instead of the normal one-tile width. And it kind of really made the game easy. Uh, it wasn't trivial. It wasn't, it wasn't nothing. But it definitely made it a bit easier and a bit more easy to get through. and. It really hurt the experience because I really wanted to use this unique gameplay format in a way that was merged with Zelda and kind of didn't just have the Zelda world thrown upon it. And maybe that's my own problem. Maybe that's my uh, biases or my pre-notions of what this game or what I wanted this game to be, not what this game delivered and not the quality of the game. Um, but I feel like it's most evident in the dungeons because the dungeons are just not anything special. They are what most resemble a Curse of the Necrodancer level, which is fine, but this is a Zelda game with Curse of the Necrodancer thrown in. And the fact that they don't know what weapons you have or what items you have means that having the boomerang doesn't matter in a dungeon. It's just a weapon to use. And having the ice rod in a dungeon doesn't matter, it's just a weapon to use. And I think that really hurt it, especially when you get to the boss fights, or you get to some of the interesting locations around the world that are handcrafted, and there's so much love and so much care put into them. When you, when you step into Kakariko Village, it's amazing. When you go to the Gerudo Desert, it's amazing. But the stuff around it is is it just doesn't it doesn't cohesion together it's like the glue kind of didn't settle right for me and then especially when you see these bosses these bosses are incredible and they're super fun not the most hard things in the world but that's okay i didn't want to i didn't want the most challenging experience that's not what i wanted but these bosses are so fun and the music for their fights is some of the best music in the game that I kind of just wanted that handcrafted seg those handcrafted segments to be more of the game, if not all of the game. And like I said, my biases, my preconceived notions, that is not what they delivered. I don't even think that's what they were saying they were delivering, but I'm kind of having a hard time getting over it. I don't hate this game by any means. I enjoyed the heck out of it, but I think this is just a good game where the Zelda rapper kind of elevated it to a higher level. Uh, 
or and brought it down some. I think I think it worked both ways, and I think that's why it kind of sticks in the middle for me. Um, I don't really feel the need to go back and re-roll the world. I saw every tile. Um, I'm only missing a couple pieces of heart, but I, d- I don't feel the need to jump back in, and that is kind of of hurtful because I really started loving this game, but it kind of it kind of disintegrated for me as it went on. So that is my review or little mini review of Cadence of Hyrule. I believe that I'm going to try and do a bit of a written piece uh, for our blog at buttonkey.games. So if you want to keep an eye on that, it's not going to be anything terribly long. It's it's not going to be the best written thing in the world. I'm just working on some writing. But if you want to go over there and take a look, I highly, highly encourage you to do so in the coming week. I hope to have it done. Now I'd like to move into the remaining E3 thoughts, and I have a couple of awards to give away. And I'm doing a few of these. The first one is going to be for the sleeper hit of the show. This is the game that I think is going to make a big splash when it comes out, but it kind of... Uh, released to the general public, uh, announced to the general public in a way that wasn't 100% on. Uh, and I hope, I hope that it picks up steam. And this is a game that is on Game Pass, will be on Game Pass day one. So there is a chance for it to show up. But this game is going to be Bleeding Edge by Ninja Theory. Now, when I was a kid, I played a lot of Dota. And I moved on to Heroes of the Storm uh, sooner after because Dota takes up a lot of time and Heroes of the Storm was a bit more compact. And the thing I liked about those MOBAs was you got this vast roster of characters that you could put together and you make these teams of five and you just see how things work together as, as a group. So you have some characters that have a lot of crowd control, which means they can stun other heroes, they can uh, move other heroes, they can uh, cover out areas, they can, they can deny ground from other heroes. So when you have that mixed with an assassin who has this big attack that needs to be really aimed, you end up with these kind of wombo combos that just destroy and obliterate people. I remember in Dota, there was a character that could suck people into like this black hole. And then there was another character that throws this giant pirate ship at them. And if it hits on the point of impact, it explodes and does a lot of damage. So you would get everybody into this black hole or as many people on the other team as you can. And then you throw the pirate ship out and it's this big thing. And I've, I did it plenty of times with me and my friends screaming and my parents coming in and saying, Evan, shut up. It is two o'clock in the morning. Stop playing this dumb game. Go to bed. Uh, but I wouldn't go to bed because I wanted to keep having those moments. And this is a game by Ninja Theory who have made games like uh, Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice. They made games like DMC Devil May Cry quite notoriously. But... They specialize in third-person action combat, and they're making a game that is a 4v4 arena-style game. It's not a MOBA. You're not running down lanes or anything like that, but it's based around this diverse and rich roster of characters that look really special so far. You have characters like Buttercup, who has a giant wheel where her legs 
should be. And you have a character that is a snake controlling a dead body. So it's kind of, it kind of looks like a dude has a snake for an arm, but then you realize that the snake is just controlling a dead body. And there's some rich lore to these characters already. I'm already interested in these characters. But what I'm really interested in is this uh, tight third-person combat that Ninja Theory is known for in a multiplayer setting to where you can have these big combos. So Buttercup, like I talked about, has a hook-type move where she can grab someone from across the arena, pull them to her, and then you have characters that have cages that can lock people down, that have stuns that can lock people down. Because Buttercup by herself probably won't have the damage output to take out the character, depending on health pool, obviously. So mixing Buttercup with an assassin, mixing that crowd control with an assassin, really, really just, it, it gets my, uh, my ideas turning in my head because these are things that I want to do again. I've, I've missed those MOBAs. I've missed having time for those games because you have to dedicate a lot of time to them. And this game coming to Game Pass means I already have a bunch of friends getting it. It's going to be cross-play because it's a Microsoft game. It's coming out on PC and Xbox. So I'm, I, have, I have a bunch of friends who are already on board for this game. And I can't wait to get my hands in there and see exactly how these characters work together and making builds and, and, and mashing them together in ways that are super fun and interesting. And I, I, I trust Ninja Theory. I think they've done some cool stuff with story, but I think this is them putting all of their weight behind the combat that they are known for. And this looks to be something special. My next award is going to be for the producer of the show. This is going to be an award for the producer, I think, who put on the best showing and, and really showed up and, and made us wonder and made us excited and made us look forward to what is coming next. And it was a close race for me. I was between two different publishers. Uh, it was between Microsoft and Nintendo. But ultimately, I went for Nintendo. I've had so many conversations in the, in the recent week about people and games that I were excited for. And Nintendo just has a, a bonkers lineup coming up. Their year is stuffed and jam-packed with games that are only for the Nintendo Switch. We have Fire Emblem Three Houses, which is a game that is not going to have the biggest audience in the world, but this is a big, uh, a big release for Nintendo anytime it comes out. We have Luigi's Mansion 3 coming out later this year. Obviously a big hit. I played the first Luigi's Mansion on my GameCube when I was a kid, and I still have very fond memories of that game. I think those games deserve more praise than they actually get, or it. I didn't play the second one. We have Astral Chain from Platinum coming up, which is this crazy game about, it's like, Pokemon mixed with anime. Pokemon's already an anime, but you kind of get what I'm saying. It's this, this soap-drenched noir but with platinum style, and you're controlling this uh, character that is connected to a creature who they're connected by a chain, and then you can kind of wrap people up while you're fighting them and lock them down, and it looks really interesting. We have Mario Maker coming out this in two weeks. Mario Maker's in two weeks. That's a huge game. We have stuff like Animal Crossing, which is next year. Animal Crossing New Horizons got announced, and you get to uh, build an island. It doesn't just seem to be a village. 
and Tom Nook is still a big fat jerk, so there is that to look forward to. And so much more, Nintendo was really throwing out hits left and right. Pokemon Sun and uh, Sword, Sword and Shield is coming out, and that's going to be a huge game. It's going to do huge numbers for them. But Nintendo seems to be doing everything right, and I think people were a little worried when the Switch came out, and they kind of just said, hey, we have Mario Odyssey the first year. We have Zelda Breath of the Wild at launch. And people were kind of worried that they, they, blew their, they blew their fuse at the beginning and did not wait and just like kind of pad out the releases. But that has not been a problem for them. They have been going and going and going and going. There was a little bit of a lull in the second year, but nothing crazy. And now we have stuff like uh, Zelda Link's Awakening coming out, which looks adorable and looks amazing. They just announced Breath of the Wild 2, which is a huge deal. My wife is going to spend another 300 hours in that game, guaranteed. They announced Banjo for Smash, which is massive. Microsoft or Rare coming back to Nintendo in the big way. Hopefully it's uh, signs of more partnerships like this to come. Maybe even a new Banjo game proper from Rare on Nintendo and Xbox. That would be huge. But all in all, I left the show most excited about Nintendo and everything that Nintendo has coming up. And now we are going to move on to my best developer, and that is going to go to CD Projekt Red. This is kind of obvious. They kind of had the biggest pop of the show with Keanu Reeves coming out uh, as Johnny Silverhand, which seems to be a pretty big character throughout the game. People are saying he's like your Cortana throughout the game, which means he's going to be there pretty consistently, and I don't know if he can die. Uh, But CD Projekt Red is just always a great developer, and I always like to shout their praises from the rooftop because they do put the consumers first, and they they let consumers know what's going on in a a way that treats them with respect and doesn't deny them their knowledge. They come out and say, hey, this game's going to be done when it's done. You can see that it's huge. We're going to give you as much as we can when it does come out, but right now we're going to We're going to show you as much as we want to, but we don't want to spoil the game for you. And then you have their amazing store, GOG, or GOG, which does all DRM-free, meaning that you don't uh, lose the license no matter what. So when you buy stuff digitally, you're just buying a license to use something. So if Microsoft said, uh, you can't play Cuphead anymore, uh, even though you bought it, you bought it three years ago. You can't play it anymore, though, because something happened with the company. You can't play it anymore. They have full right to take the license from you, even though you paid for it, and they can revoke your access to the game. Whereas CD Projekt Red is very much this company of, no, we, you, you bought the game. You keep the game. Uh, we're not going to steal anything from you. We're not here to take something from you. And the 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 response to... Cyberpunk 2077 has been huge and it's it's only seems to be growing in this in this monumentous scale that is I have I haven't seen this from a game probably since Skyrim probably since the the Oblivion Skyrim days when Bethesda was pushing forward in those new directions so this is something crazy and I I can't imagine a better developer than CD Project Red to be handling this project they seem to be handling it with such care and such kindness, and such warmth, that I cannot wait to get my hands on that game in May. 
And last but not least, it's my personal game of the show. And this is the game that really impressed me the most and really surprised me and showing this big turnaround for this developer or for this this game franchise. This game, my game of show, is going to be Watch Dogs Legion. Now, this game leaked before E3 started, and then they officially announced it a couple days before the Ubisoft press conference. But the leak kind of contains stuff that referenced you being able to play as any NPC, you being able to take control, you don't just play as one character, you kind of play as this whole city, you play as London and the, and the inhabitants of London. And when they got on stage at the Ubisoft press conference, it opened. And oh man, it ruined the rest of the press conference because this game looks so good. I could not care less about the first Watch Dogs. I think it was bland. I think it was boring. And I think the idea wasn't even the most compelling in the first place. It looked cool when they first showed it, but as time went on, I lost interest. I didn't even buy it. I played it at a friend's house, and I was good for the two hours I played it, and I just ran around and did whatever. And then I played Watch Dogs 2, and I really liked that one. I thought it was a big step forward for the developer for Ubisoft in the way they were handling the Watch Dogs franchise. They kind of made it more jovial. They lost all the all the really heavy and dark, and they lost Aiden, and Aiden's just boring. But Marcus from Watch Dogs 2 was jovial and fun. And it was just fun to run around this world. It was bright and colorful. And they did San Francisco really well. And that's where the big problem came in. Because a bunch of the way you interact with that world can be shooting people. And there's only one non-lethal weapon that isn't your yo-yo, which is your melee attack. And it's a stun gun. And I had one time where I said, let me see about using this gun. And it just felt so wrong. And it felt so wrong that I actually ended up putting the game down and and not playing it because those characters did not feel like characters that would do that. And I know that I control this world, but when you limit it to that small number of ways to interact with your enemies, it kind of turned me off. Not saying that I not saying that I need to kill everyone, or not saying that you have to you have to form it this way, but I feel like there was this big disconnect between what the character was saying what the group was saying and then the actions that they took and no one really referenced it no one really said anything about it you just did it and that was it and you were it wasn't even bad guys you were hurting you were hurting innocent people and you just kind of went on with your life and it felt wrong so I was wondering how they could drag me back into the watchdog franchise and it really seems that legion did it by balancing the dark gritty story of the first one with the jovial nature of two so they give you an enemy to hate they give you this this villain uh vilified government system that is that is militaristic and it's always watching you and and they have drones with guns just running around like taking people out willy-nilly for any little thing so these are your bad guys. They're bad guys that need to go down because what DeadSec is, which is the group in the Watchdog games, the group of rebels, uh, you can say, in these games, what DeadSec is, is fighting against 
the oppression. And when you take the oppression and you make it real and you're not just shooting down civilians in the street, it makes it okay because you're actually fighting for something. You're not just doing random crimes in the street. And then you put on top of it that you don't just play as one character, you play as anybody. They're saying anybody. A lot of this is with a grain of salt, but I think that is okay for the time being. So the opening shot they showed, he's going around scanning people's phones like you normally do in a Watch Dogs game, and you see these attributes pop up. So one guy's like a brawler, and it says like he does 200% more damage in a fist fight. Uh, but he takes 200% more damage or something like that. There was one guy who was a stuntman for a living and addicted to adrenaline, and one of his attributes is can die randomly. Like, will die randomly. And I think having these goofy attributes, pulling from something like Rogue Legacy and giving them goofy attributes, and you can play as, the, you can play as a granny who is like an ex-spy and she walks like a granny. She, they showed her hurtling over a railing and she kind of just flops over it like real slow. So you're not like running away from cops. You're not in a foot chase for anybody. But making this world seem fun yet giving you a reason to engage with the weaponry on the scale at which it's supposed to be engaged with. In San Francisco and Watch Dogs 2, shooting people felt bad, but I'm fairly certain that this version of London shooting the bad guys will be okay because they give you a reason to do so, because it's truly oppressive, because it's something that needs to change, and you are being the catalyst for that change. And the fact that you can play as anyone... And it doesn't seem like you can just run by and recruit people and say, like, you're with DeadSec, you're with DeadSec, you're with DeadSec. There are people that are predispositioned to like DeadSec. There are people that are more against DeadSec. So it's going to be harder to recruit people who are against DeadSec than it is going to be someone who is more ready to take up this cause. Um, it's, it, it seems so ambitious. And that's really why I'm giving it my nod. Because the ambition is so crazy, it's so ridiculous, it's so awesome that I want to be a part of it and I want to see it and I want to see the limits and I want to see if I can break those or where they fall or what you can do with it. And I'm all in. I'm all in on Watch Dogs Legion. Congratulations, Ubisoft. You impressed me in a big way. And that is it for my solo episode of the Button Key Games cast, talking about Cadence of Hyrule, talking about E3 Post Show, giving out some awards. I'm going to have a lot of that stuff hopefully written on the site in the near future for you to check out. I'll put an update on our Instagram, at Button Key Games. I'll update it on my personal Twitter, at Evan Button Key. And I'll update it on our Button Key Games Twitter, which is at Button Key Games. We would love you to to search for us and follow us on any of those platforms. We are trying to build into something bigger and we, we have some plans and, and we're hoping to, to get a ball rolling on some stuff so you can see us and our opinions more. We thank you so much for listening to us and we can't wait to talk to you again. So in the meantime, stay classy out there.